your message notes. I want to dive into the message today. Uh, we are in part three of a series I'm calling Rebuilding. Um, and I started this series on our anniversary, just introduced the idea and the concept of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book found in the Old Testament. If you're new to Christianity and maybe you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the Bible split up into an Old Testament, New Testament. It all hinges around Jesus and his birth. Um, the old covenant was the, the ways before Jesus' death and uh, the, the shedding of the blood and the forgiveness of our sins and the restoration of our relationship with God. And so Nehemiah is found in that portion, the Old Testament. Uh, he was a man that was influential with a king and God used him to rebuild the walls that were torn down in Jerusalem. Uh, God's city. And we as a people have found ourselves in a season and even in situations where I believe your walls have been torn down. I believe the enemy's been attacking. I believe he's been fighting families. I think he's fighting marriages. I think he's fighting individuals and is out to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's what John 10 10 says. But we love the latter portion of that scripture. Jesus said, yeah, the enemy, the thief, he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Come on, how many are grateful that it didn't stop with the enemy, but God gets the last word in what's happening. And Nehemiah, I believe, is our steps to activating God's life in our lives and his power. And that he really spoke to me this past year in January, 21 days of prayer and fasting, uh, that, that he was going to rebuild lives quickly. Uh, things that seemed like they would take forever, years, uh, maybe decades. God really spoke to me and said, I'm going to do an accelerated work, something that only he can do, supernatural. And so I just began to study the book of Nehemiah. It's 13 chapters. It's not a hard book to read. I want to encourage you, if you haven't read it yet, go ahead and read it. Use it as an offset of your one-year Bible. I always encourage people to read your one-year Bible. And then add that in addition to. And you get through it in a day or so. Uh, it won't take you very long, but the principles are principles that we could use all throughout life, whether we're in a pandemic or not. Uh, there seems to constantly be seasons and areas in our lives that we've got to rebuild. And so last week, I got into the first two steps of how to rebuild our lives. Um, and so the theme verse was Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. And so I'd like to read that, and then we'll just jump into the passage today. Nehemiah 2.17, it says, But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. How many feel like maybe there's an area in your life that lies in ruins? Uh, there, there's an area that you used to be real strong in, and maybe you're not that strong in. Remember, the wall was built and then it was destroyed. So I, I, I recognize that in my life there are seasons where certain areas are stronger and then in other seasons where it gets weaker. And all it has to do with is my focus and attention to that area. And this coronavirus, the social distancing, caused many 
I put me many of us to lower our you, you know our our wall against the enemy. You you just you start to not be as disciplined as you once were. You think it's going to be over and it's not. You you start to let things. How many have had some thoughts that you hadn't had in a long long time? Some worry, some anxiety, some fear. God saved you, set you free from fear, and now you're like I, I found myself and and, and I, I I told this story a while back. I was sitting in the doctor's office and a man said right next to me and almost got offended at him. I'm like, when did we get offended at having someone sit next to us? Well, it's a mentality. There has been a whole shift in our mindset. I walked into a store the other day and the store didn't care if you wore a face mask or not. And I didn't wear a face mask. And it was very interesting how many looks of people like I, I had just assaulted them or something. Like I, I, I could, have you ever seen someone's eyes and you're like, wow, like you, like you just beat me up and you didn't even say nothing. Like they, they were eyeballing me out of the store. And, you know, it just, it's very interesting because here, here's what we look at. Look, you want to wear a mask? Great. Nobody's going to eyeball you out. You don't want to wear one. Don't. If, if the store asks me to wear one, I'm going to wear one. I'm going to comply with the law of the land and what the people ask. But at the same time, can we recognize that maybe, and here's what cracks me up. Can I just like crack on it just a little bit? Like there was a store we were, we're at and they're like mass mandated and the employees have them down to here breathing out their nose. I'm like, that's following the letter of the law without understanding the spirit of the law. Like if you're going to wear the mask at M95, come on, and, and, and the red, but like an employee, like you're going to make me mandate it, then do that and cover your whole mouth. But anyway, that, I'm sorry, I'm on a soapbox. But my point is this, is that is it really the pandemic or is it fear-based? And what happens, and I realized in my own mind, is I started to be afraid to have people close. Well, doesn't the enemy love for people to not be close to you? I just read a stat, and it was out of Time Magazine, the millions of people that are struggling with loneliness, that now they, they, they not only did they feel relationally lonely before, now they're actually physically lonely and so they're living life alone. I read a story. It was the Time Magazine. I wish I would have kept the, the article. But she was talking. It was a teacher. She had gotten a divorce. And so she said she bought this small little house that she was excited about. It was going to, she put, I'm going to get me time. And so she was excited about this new quaint little cottage of a house and said since the coronavirus, she has been so lonely. There have been days that she's been curled up in a ball on the floor in her new house. And the point of the story was there are millions of people just like that. And, and here's the mentality is that even in our minds, the wall, the strength, the, the faith, the life that God called us to live, the enemy has just been chipping it away with fear, anxiety, doubt. And look, I understand that there are real concerns. And when those concerns are valid, look, we're going to operate in safety. We, we clean this whole auditorium. We still disinfect every, we're doing everything that we know to do, but I refuse to allow the wall of faith to be chipped down with the spirit of fear. And so there are areas in our lives. And so Nehemiah did a couple of things. And I, I got to the second, first and second last week. The first one was he took responsibility and ownership of the situation. Second thing is he had a clear vision of what could be. I think some of you have lived in ruins in your area of life for so long, you can't even see the possibility of what it could be. And look, if you live without vision, you're going to die without hope. 
There's no hope in this situation. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your physical health. You've looked at the walls that the enemy has torn down for so long. That's all you can see. You can't even get a glimpse of the future. It's the vision of God that gives us the ability to walk forward in faith. It gives us strength. When someone says, I'm having a hard time getting out of bed, what I really understand is they're not saying there's a lack of energy. They're saying there's a lack of vision. They don't have anything to live for. There's nothing that inspires them. There's nothing that they're a part of. And so when you don't have something that you're living for and a part of that's greater than yourself, it's really difficult to have hope and strength and the want to to get out of bed. And that's where the enemy will destroy your area of life because you cannot see what God sees. And as a people, we've got to get God's perspective on your marriage, God's perspective on your family, God's perspective on your health. There is a greater than what I'm living in right now. And if you'll get that, it'll give you the energy to fight for your marriage. It'll give you the passion to fight for the legacy of your family. See, you came out of a dysfunctional family that maybe never had nothing, never amounted to anything, but God called you out. You responded to the call of God, and then the enemy came chipping away at the wall of your life, and now he's got you believing that you're going to end up just like them. No, baby, you're a child of God. You were brought out of the kingdom of darkness and now placed into the kingdom of light. There's a destiny in your life. There's a purpose. The enemy wants to deceive you. Now, today I wanted to give you a couple of, hopefully I can get through them. I got three things that, that Nehemiah did as well to help rebuild the wall. The first one is he, the, this morning, is he surrounded himself with the right people. He surrounded himself with the right people. When you read the story of Nehemiah, he built a great team. Nothing great in life happens if you don't have a great team. If you don't have people that are surrounding you in your life. He gathered the priests and the leaders and the laborers, and they all worked together to rebuild the wall. There was community. They were unified around a single vision. They were going in the same direction. They had the same passion, the same desires. Look at Nehemiah 4.16. It says, from that day on, half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers... So he's got laborers, now he's got officers. They posted themselves behind the people of Judah, so the, the priests. So you've got all these different types of people in different socioeconomic statuses, different backgrounds. They're coming together, and it says, who were building the wall. They were focused on the same goal together. They had the same vision. Those that carried material did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore their sword at his side as he worked. They were invested in each other's lives. They were invested in the success of that wall. If anybody's area of the wall was not strong, it would be an access point for the enemy. So their success was tied to one another. Some of you are trying to rebuild the wall of your life and the success of your life is not tied to their life. So they don't really care if you're successful or not. They're not bought into you. They're not going, look, you can't rebuild an area of your life if the person you're trying to rebuild with is going in a different direction. If they don't have the same values, if they don't have the same passions, if they don't have the same direction in their life, you're just wasting your time. There's going to be a breaking down in that area. 
I love the Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine through 10. It says, two people are better than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And I find right now in society, there are a lot of people who are trying to rebuild their lives all by themselves. They don't, they don't have anyone helping them. They're not together rebuilding with a family. See, God put you in a family. He put you in a physical family, and then he put you in a spiritual family. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for both. Like physical family, I can't really choose that, right? I mean, I'm born into the family I'm born into, and some of you, you're like, you love it. Some of you, you hate it. Either way, it's God's choice for your life. But a spiritual family, we get to choose, I get to choose to be a part of this church. I get to choose to be a part of my small group. I get to choose to be a part of my serve team. I get to choose to be a part of this spiritual family. And so it is family by choice. And some sit here today or worship online. And the challenge is you've never selected a family by choice. You've been isolated. You don't have a strong natural family. But you've not really chosen a strong spiritual family for your life to be partnered with. Well, when you're by yourself, it's easy for the enemy to tear your life down. It's easy for him to attack you. And, and it's easy for you to find yourself with the enemy just chipping away at your life. That He's like a roaring lion seeking, the Bible says, whom he may devour. And I'll tell you this, lions are not as apt to attack when there's a herd running together, protecting each other. It's the isolated ones. That's what they do. They go try to find the isolated animals that are off by themselves because they're less of a fight to take down. It's important to have the right friends. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I don't need any friends. You know, I've been hurt. Yeah, we've all been hurt. Look, just because you had a bad haircut doesn't mean you stopped getting your haircut. It means you change barbers. Right? You go to someone who can highlight your hair a little bit better. But you still get your haircut. Relationships are the same way. Look, just because you've been hurt by a relationship doesn't mean you stop having friends and extended family by choice. It, it just says, I gotta find healthy friends. I gotta find the right friends. And I mean, no, there are no perfect friends, but there are friends that say, hey, look, whether good days or bad day, come hell or high water, we're in this thing together. We're committed. We are family. You gotta find that family. I love that about our small groups. If we have 38 different small groups to choose from here at Anchor Bend, we don't do it because we're trying to find something for you to do. We're not, we, we don't think any of you have a lack of, of things on your schedule, but we do know the priority of finding people that are living life in the same direction that you're trying to go. That's why we have a men's small group. Why? Because we know there are men that are trying to rebuild areas of their lives, trying to rebuild their families. That's why we have women's small group, freedom's small group. If you've not been to freedom, freedom is, you have to do freedom. It's the best small group that we do. It's curriculum-based, and it's all about getting rid of the areas that have become toxic in our life. We, we live out of the knowledge of good and evil or out of the tree of life, and you've got to, as a Christian, learn how to live out of the tree of life that God would allow you to have all the soul ties, all the addictions, all the areas of pain broken off of your life that have controlled you up until this moment. That's why we call it freedom. 
So to break free, and then it has a weekend encounter where they walk through the, just an amazing experience. Why? Because we want to help you rebuild the walls of your life. It's why we do city groups tonight. We got city groups tonight, six o'clock, because we want young people to have a family and a tribe of people that they live life together with, that they do life together with. Why? Because life change happens in relationships. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you might be healed. Isn't it interesting how God sets the system up? Remember, he who designs it can define it. Like he defines how, to, how does healing take place? Forgiveness, what, what, what many times Christians get confused is forgiveness comes from God. Confess your faults to him and he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and unrighteousness. But then he sets up a system and you see here, he says, look, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other that you might be healed. Healing comes through relationships. It comes in the context of someone saying, look, I'm going to take off my mask. I'm going to let you see the good, bad, and the ugly inside of me. And as we see that in each other and we love each other unconditionally, You'd be surprised the very thing you're struggling with are probably the same things that those people in the small group are struggling with as well. And God has a unique way of joining you with people that say, look, I'm going through the same thing. And then someone will say, well, I was there, but now I'm a little further ahead. Let me show you what I did. And you begin to do life together. You begin to give ideas together. You laugh together. You cry together. You're there for big days. You're there for bad days. But it only comes in the context of relationships relationships if you want to stand strong you've got to stand together relationships if you're not joined a small group I want to encourage you go to anchorben.com find a group just join you don't even have to leave a message just show up at the location if you're a man and you want to join us we've got a great men's small group Ollie has done a great job leading it and being a part of it I'm there 7 a.m. On, on Thursday mornings we'd love to have you it's amazing he developed the right team. He had the right people. Fourth thing is this. He developed and executed a plan. You want to rebuild in your life? Develop a plan and then execute the plan. Look, it took more than prayer to rebuild what was torn down. I think it's easy at times to say, hey, pray for me. God, I want you to heal this and fix this. Yeah, there may be an addiction. There may be a mindset. And it's like, God, just take it away. And here's what I believe. Spiritually, God does it supernaturally. But now you got to go live it out. Well, that takes discipline. That takes a plan. Look, if you struggle with fear, stop watching things that make you afraid. Stop watching the news. Come on. I mean, if you just turn the news off, you'd probably be a whole lot better. If you would read the Bible more than you watch the news, I bet faith would begin to be turned on your life. I bet you'd stop being so anxious and worried and fearful. It's like, God, look, I, here's my whole philosophy with news. I want to be informed enough to where I'm not ignorant, but not over-informed where I walk in fear. I, sh I just want to know a little bit of what's happening. And then I'm good. God, speak to me. Let me navigate. Like if something critical happens, I want to know. Something really important, I want to know. But God, I'm not going to allow that, that fear-based news, which is propaganda. And think about this. The enemy loves for people to walk in fear because fear causes him to have control. That's why God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, sound mind. 
God, I want you to have the control of my life. And so I'm not going to allow my life to be torn down. I'm, I'm going to have a plan. I'm not going to watch all those things. I'm going to read more of the Bible. I'm going to get around people that are faith-filled. I'm building a plan. And then you execute the plan. Look, Nehemiah 4, 21 through 23, it says, We worked early and late, from sunrise to sunset. And half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help guard duty, have help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went out for water. So what we see here is he started creating a plan and then he's executing the plan. He organized the men in groups. He stationed them with specific locations. He gave them job descriptions. He gave them expectations. He gave them hours to work. It's going to be early morning to late night, sunrise to sunset. Look, when you're rebuilding, there's nothing easy about rebuilding. 52 days is what it took Nehemiah and the people to rebuild the wall. Two and a half miles long, eight feet thick, 40 feet high. It was a miracle, but it was hard. It was laborious. It took long days. It took a lot of effort. It took a lot of focus. It took a lot of encouragement. I want to encourage you as you're rebuilding the wall of your life, don't get discouraged. Don't feel overwhelmed. Get around the right people. Keep coming back to church. Keep allowing God to speak into you. It's not an easy season, but once it's done, then you're safe. He built a plan, and then he worked his plan. I think many people fail to plan, and then they plan to fail. What's your plan? What's the area of your life that you need God to move in? Is it your finances? What's your plan? I, I just say, what's your plan? Is it rebuilding a company that God gave you and through coronavirus it seemed to dissipate and disappear? I'll tell you this, just because that business might have dissipated or disappeared, the calling of God did not. And so you've got to say, okay, God, I'll retool this business. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but God, you give me a plan, a strategy, not man's plan, but God's plan, a strategy from heaven. And when you begin to have a strategy, you begin to have a plan, you begin to say, okay, God, this is what I believe you spoke. Now I've got a direction. And then you say, I'm going to work this plan. That's what Nehemiah did. When you do it, it changes everything. I read a true story of two adventurers, Roald Amundsen and Robert Scott. I don't know if you've ever heard the story. It was in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Such a fascinating story. It happened in 1911. Uh, these two men led teams to the South Pole. Their goal was to be the first person to go to the South Pole and reach the South Pole and come back. It's a 1,400-mile journey. And if you're not familiar with the conditions of the journey, it gets below 20 degrees below zero in the summertime there. And these men had this ambition. We're going to reach the South Pole, be the first one to have reached it and made it back and they were led by two well-experienced men. They were about the same age. Uh, they started within just a few days of each other. They endured the same exact conditions. And the two teams, though everything was the same, ended up with totally different results. And it was because of the way the leader led them. Scott 
which was the leader of one expedition, he led his team based on the current conditions. So when the weather was bad, he didn't travel very far, if at all. When the weather was good, they would go as far as they possibly could. They'd go 30 miles, 40 miles, 50 miles in a day. And so he would continue to push hard when the weather was good. And when the weather was bad, they would camp out. He allowed the environment to determine his distance. And in the process, he led his men to exhaustion. Now, Amundsen, he, on the other hand, he had a different strategy. To get to the South Pole and back, he decided it doesn't matter what the weather conditions are like. I'm going to march our team 15 to 20 miles a day, regardless. On a good day, we're going to go 15 to 20 miles. And the people would say on his team, come on, we got to go further. It's a good day. We got to take advantage of it. And he said, no, no, no. We're going 15 to 20 miles. We're going to go as far as that. And then we're going to rest. I want you to rest. On the bad days, they would complain. What are we doing? We can't see. It's too harsh. I don't understand. And he would push his team. And on the bad days, they went 15 to 20 miles, regardless of how bad the weather actually was. And I'm sure you're wondering which one actually made it. Well, let's put it this way. Scott and his team, they actually made it there, but never made it back alive. They died in the process because they allowed the environment to determine their distance. But Amundsen, he said, no, we're going to do it. It's going to be the same. I got a plan. It doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day. We're going the same distance. We're going to move forward with the plan that I have. And I wonder in our life, if you're trying to rebuild, if you would stick to the plan. Look, if you're trying to rebuild your spiritual life, that means I pray every day. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. I had a late night. I had to work late. It doesn't matter. You still get up early and you pray. Pastor, I'm on vacation. Doesn't matter. You still get up. Up and you pray. Why? Because I'm rebuilding my spiritual life. Think about your marriage. Go on a, week, a date night every week, not some weeks, every week. Yeah, but this is a busy week. Yeah, but this is your marriage. I want to be consistent. What's the plan? We do it this week and next week and the next week and the next week and the next week. We do this consistently and consistency always trumps passion. It always trumps passion. Consistency, not passion, determines your success. So here's my question. Are you consistent in the area you're trying to rebuild? Are you consistent in whatever you're doing, whatever plan that you have, or do you allow the environment or the situation or the circumstance to cause you to be swayed to lose the consistency you need to rebuild? Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the right time, we're going to reap a harvest if we don't give up. Think about eating healthy. If you're trying to get your body right, and you're trying to look, that means, I know we laugh about vacay. You can eat, you know, chocolate chip muffins and brownies. And no, 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 no. Why? Because you're rebuilding. Come on, somebody. You ain't in a rest season. So that means every day I'm going to eat right. Every day I'm going to exercise. Every day I'm going to pray over the health of my body. Every day. Why? Because I'm building something, and the only way to build is with consistency. Getting out of debt. I don't care if it's Christmas. You don't spend more than what comes in. Come on, somebody. I know that the kids are going to be fine. Why? Because they've been fine for centuries. Come on. 
Yeah, Pastor, come on, it's Christmas, it's birthday. There's always an excuse to break your budget. Always an excuse to put it on the charge card. Why? Because it's easier to put it on plastic than to pay cash. Cash is really difficult. You're like, ooh, that's ooh, that's a hundred. That's got a present. Woo, oh my goodness. Card is like, oh, thousands. Hell, come on, somebody, somebody go pay that off. You in about a hundred years. Consistency, not passion, determines success. Here's the last thing. We're done. He and, and I saved this one for last. I, I thought I was going to get through all these last week, but I didn't. I did it intentionally. This is the last one. It's out of order. And uh, what you got to know when you're rebuilding is Nehemiah turned to God. He turned to God. He turned to God. He, he, didn't, he didn't turn to a committee. He didn't necessarily turn to the leaders. He didn't try to rally people to say, hey, is this a good idea? He just began to pray. He began to fast. He began to weep. And in a day where we have so much access to opinions and self-help books and even friends and family, look, there comes a point where you don't need anybody's advice. You've been getting advice for years. How has that been working out? Like you can read a self-help book on any topic nowadays. It's like there's an expert for everything. But what we forget is they just went to the original text anyway. So we're going to a secondary copy of what God already wrote. We just didn't want to dig in there and discover it for ourselves. So we go somewhere else and say, you give me the gold that they spent a lifetime developing. And instead of going to the source, look, I love self-help books. But what we have to remember is that we've got to pray first, not second, not third, not fourth. It's like, God, you're my first response. Not a last resort. And we live in a society of last resorts. Like, oh God, help me on this test. You ain't studied. You ain't done nothing. Come on, teenager. And you're like, oh Lord, help me. Lord ain't got nothing to do with it. Come on. No. It's a lack of preparation. It's, it's, it's God, you're not a last resort. Prayer's our first response. The God, I need you. God, I call out to you. God, I cry to you. And, and we can become... So sophisticated, so spiritual that we forget that when we're struggling, that our number one response ought to be, God, I run to you. It's almost as if we're afraid that God doesn't, he's going to be ashamed. Like, like God just saved me. I made a mistake. Listen, he already knows about your mistake. He knew about it before you did it. The only thing he's looking for is, will you run back to him when you make a mistake? God, I didn't mean to. He knows that. Just go back to the Father. Love Jesus when they were scoffing at him and I took out the scripture in my notes because I knew I'd have too much. And it was in Matthew. And the religious were, were upset with Jesus. They're like hating on him. Here's this spiritual man healing. And, and the reason they were hating on him is because he was eating dinner with sinners and tax collectors. And I think we forget his heart is not only for sinners, but it's sons and daughters. Like, like I, I always get amazed at how offended people get. And I, I was even talking to my kids about it this week. We went camping, which that was a miracle in and of itself. And don't pat me on the shoulder too good because we didn't even set up the tent. We went to a place where they set it all up. I'm like, praise God. 
I'll give you the scoop later. It's awesome. They call it glamping. I'm like, oh, come on. That's my kind of camping, right? I shouldn't have said that. Everybody thought I was like amazing. And my kids were playing volleyball. And uh, there was a family. They're like, dad, this family's just like us, sort of. The dad keeps saying, I need a beer break. Give me another beer break. Give me another beer break. And they're cussing. And, and you know what I told my daughter? I just, it was Carson. And, and, and as I said, you know what? Sinners sin. I said, just be Jesus. Like, like I'm, why, when did we get so offended to hear a cuss word? You used to cuss worse than anybody else. Can't, can't be around somebody drink. You used to drink more than anybody else. Like, when did we, it's like, because I can imagine Jesus, he, now look, I'm not saying we need to do it, trust me, I, I mean, he set us free, but what I am saying is we ought to be right in the middle, because Jesus would be in the middle, he'd be right there, he'd be like, you cuss words don't bother me, it's your soul that I'm after, because those words don't, it's, it's eternity that matters. And when we make mistakes, somehow we just, we tend to run from God, we're ashamed, we're Embarrassed, and I get it, man, but God is just saying, will you run to me? Would you? The psalmist said in Psalm 121, he said, in my trouble. He didn't say I ran from the Lord. He said, I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to the Lord. Some of you have yet to cry out to God for your broken area. And look at what the psalmist said. Now, we don't know. How much time has transpired? This could have been days, could have been weeks, could have been years, could have been decades. Because we read it just as if boom, boom. No, 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 no. And there are many times, years that take place between verses. He says, look, I cried to you in my trouble, but God, you were faithful. He answered. And some of you cried out, maybe you, maybe you did cry out, but God didn't answer it. It's okay, just keep crying out, God. God, I'm not going to move away from you. God, I choose to cry out to you. God, I need your help. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I need you. There's a story of a Shakespearean actor who was known everywhere for his one-man shows and recitations of the great classics. And in his performances, as he would stand on the stage at the end of the night, he would always end the show with the recitation of Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He'd get through the passage, and by the end of the night, the crowd would stand in thunderous ovation and praise and cheering at the man's ability to make that verse come to life. One night as the actor got ready to recite the psalm as he normally did, there was a young boy in the very back that said, Sir, sir, tonight can I recite the psalms? But the actor, knowing this child was no match for his skill and years of training, allowed the young man to come up to begin the recitation of the psalms. And the young boy began to speak, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that night, there were no thunderous applause, no standing ovations. The only thing that could be seen were tears flowing down the faces 
of the audience. They had been so moved at his recitation of the Psalms. The actor came up to him at the end and said, how'd you do it? Like, what in the world did you do? I, I've been doing this a lifetime and have never had the response that you had tonight. The young boy looked at the actor. He said, you know the Psalms, but I know the shepherd. Yeah.